0: Ben, I've got a question for you. Shoot. Are you good at fighting? No. No? I like watching it. <laughs> okay. can be fun, but I appreciate nonviolence. So, no. no, I'm not good at fighting.
1: Not good at fighting? Well, let's say there's, like, a big guy at a bar someplace. Would you, like, and he says... Buddy, if you cross this line, we're going to have to, we're going to have to fight. And he's like way bigger than you are.
0: Uh, my pride would be wounded, but no, I would probably not
1: fight him. Probably not. Probably you you do something else. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you could probably teach a thing or two to the nation of Bolivia. Ooh. In the second half of the 1800s. This is big time whoopsies. Welcome to Big Time Whoopsies, my name is Eric McAdams and this is a podcast about incompetence. Each week I tell you, the listener, and a friend of mine, a story from history involving massive incompetence. Today, my guest is Ben. Say hi, Ben.
0: Hello, it's me. Hi, Eric, how you doing?
1: (laughs) Ben is a long-time listener of
0: Big Time Whoopsies. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it's a call-in show now i've decided as the number one fan that you're a call-in show now
1: i invited ben to be on the show approximately like half a year ago and then i remember that like i had done that and then i'm like oh shit i gotta get him on the thing was it that long ago i only feel like it was no it wasn't it was like october Eh. so ben so eric what do you know about uh, naval combat in the second half of the 19th century? The second half of the 19th century. The second half. Ironclads and gunboats. That's a, yeah, that's that's mostly right. Yeah, ironclads are certainly a thing. And actually, I was initially gonna do a whole background thing on ironclads, but I think I might do that in a different episode, cause. Literally in the Wikipedia on Ironclads, there's a there's a subsection called the Ram Craze. And I just, I can't not let that have its own moment in the spotlight.
0: Oh god, just, oh, knowing what I know about Ironclads and just ramming a shoebox covered in sheet metal full of... Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, okay. Ooh. The
1: Ram Craze.
0: <laughs> the Craze. Coming to your town next, baby. The uh, tip-top of London fashion to just ram ironclads. (laughs) It's
1: the new dance craze. Anywho's it. We're going to talk specifically about naval combat in South America in the second half of the 1800s. So, what do you know about South America in the second half of the 1800s?
0: As far as I know, it was a lot like the first half where it's fighting and civil war.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so South America's just a lot of a lot of South America is now out from under colonial rule and that what that means is they're all figuring out how to be countries for the first time. And uh, Mexico went through a similar thing with this. That's the first episode of Big Time Whoopsies everybody. Yes. And what this means with this specific arrangement is there's just going to be border disputes all the time everywhere. Which, I guess, makes a lot of sense
0: considering, A, borders are really stupid as a concept, and B, yeah. so much of the area, I guess, in, like, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, are all, like, forest and mountains. So, where yeah. do you draw that line of distinction? What would that depend on? Rivers?
1: Yeah, should we, should we draw the line on the mountain range, on the river, or on some imaginary line, like the, like the 24th parallel south? we may come back to that. Oh, okay. So one of these border disputes, and there are border disputes all over the continent at this point, one of these border disputes is in the Atacama Desert. Okay. And at the time, the Atacama Desert is a rich source of sodium nitrate. Sodium nitrate is also known occasionally as Chilean saltpeter. Oh. And it has a lot of different uses from fertilizer to food preservatives to pyrotechnics you can make explosives out of it and you can put in your food what can't you do with it it's great
0: i literally only know about saltpeter because somebody back when mad max fury road came out was like oh the bullet farmer he uses corpses to mine for saltpeter which is part of gunpowder
1: Wow, oh, i did not know that that makes sense yeah that would be exactly the kind of thing george miller put into that miracle of a movie it's so good It's, yeah, it's stupid good. How is he allowed to make it that good? It should be illegal. Moving along, Uh, Chilean saltpeter is a very lucrative business in the 1860s, and in the Atacama Desert there are essentially three nations that all want a piece of it. There is Peru to the north, Bolivia to the east, and Chile to the south. Chileans were the most populous group in the mining territories in the Atacama, and Chilean companies were the most successful. Chileans and Bolivians actually outnumbered Peruvians in Peru's section of the Atacama. They were there were so many different mining operations going and Peru was kind of half-heartedly in it. Yeah. Also at the time they're all because they just started being countries, they're all undergoing financial problems. Like you do.
0: Like, I'm sure they're all in debt to the people they just threw the chains off of. Like, Yeah,
1: and we'll, I'll talk a little more about that in a second. And starting in the 1860s, there are border disputes but not outright hostility. And in 1866, Chile and Bolivia set down an official border at the 24th Parallel South in the Atacama Desert, just south of the port city of Antofagasta.
0: Okay. I cannot imagine that this went well.
1: It went okay. It lasts for about a decade. In that time, Peru and Bolivia meet together in secret, because they're a little worried, because Chile seems to be kind of taking more and more ownership of the sodium nitrate deposits and the mining operations. They're a little worried about Chile. So delegations from Peru and Bolivia meet in secret and sign a secret Treaty of Alliance.
0: Because if you don't want to have a war, you always sign a secret treaty of alliance with it. A- yeah, that's
1: the way it works, I think.
0: <laughs> Those are the rules. We got this giant book here that's called World War I. I've, I've never, like, cracked it open, but uh, yep. it might be interesting. I don't know.
1: The purpose of the alliance is essentially to discourage Chile from ever being too aggressive in the Atacama region. And what it really <laughs> means is they're going to bully Chile into accepting whatever borders they want, as Chile's military might is well below the combined forces of Peru and Bolivia.
0: So, despite Chile having more access to these natural resources, they were still kind of behind in their military.
1: Yeah, Chile was less populous and had less of a military presence, and as, in terms of like standing armies, the combined forces of Peru and Bolivia, and mostly Peru were more than double the amount of soldiers that Chile had huh. at the time. This is, I know that, you know, this piece is going to last forever, but I promise this is, this is important.
0: No, it's interesting. Uh, Chile is in a bad spot. It's kind of like a freeze frame of the Dukes of hazard. Like <laughs> they got Bolivia yes. boss hog chasing their tail.
1: Mm-hmm. And actually, actually Peru and Bolivia tried to get Argentina in on this as well. Yeah. They tried to like, hey, you want to also be a part of this alliance? Because, man, we don't like this guy, Chile. But for whatever reason, the uh, negotiations there fell through.
0: Argentina's like, I have cows. It's all good.
1: (laughs) Argentina's like, we're actually, we're working on this other thing kind of down south. It's fine. Not sure it's the best time. So soon after the secret alliance that Chile knows nothing about, Chile agrees to a new treaty with Bolivia. And this is because neither is quite happy with how the Atacama Desert situation is working out. What happens is Chile grants Bolivia taxation rights over a larger amount of territory in the Atacama, even below the 24th parallel. And in return, Bolivia promises that it will not raise taxes on Chilean interests for the next 25 years.
0: Seems like a fair deal.
1: Pretty good trade off. Yeah. Not a bad compromise.
0: So not that you could like predict what your tax needs would be, but as a deal like
1: yeah, and while that sounds that sounds good at first, you like you then remember that there's a secret alliance going on and Peru and Bolivia are probably using this to just kind of slowly expand their influence, like see how far they can push the taxation, and if push comes to shove, they're very confident that Chile is going to back off.
0: All right. So the scene is set.
1: that was the exposition (laughs) so at this time because all three of these nations are trying to get as much of this sodium nitrate business going as possible one mining one chilean mining company is specifically getting on peru and bolivia's nerves it's called la compañía de salitres y ferrocarril de antofagasta and we're going to call that the csfa for short it was a Chilean mining group that operated mostly in Bolivian territory, and it's important to Peru because in the mid 1870s, Peru had tried to engineer a monopoly on salt, on the on sodium nitrate, like a complete monopoly. They tried to buy up everything, because at the same time they were like defaulting on debts, uh, and running into financial ruin. <laughs> so,
0: isn't this roughly the same time that like? just further north people like jp morgan and john rockefeller are developing their own monopolies outside of government
1: oh yeah this is this is the wild west in terms of monopolies it's just anyone can do whatever
0: pre-antitrust period like like the gilded age which we're in
1: again (laughs) Mm Hmm. yeah hey hey let's let's keep, keep the present day out of this we're not trying to sorry draw parallels to current society what are we doing here all right So Peru is trying to create this monopoly and the diff and the various companies owning these mining operations kind of go, hey, no, stop it. (laughs) Wait a minute. Not not down for this, actually. Uh, And the CSFA is big enough that Peru can't just outright buy it. For this reason, it pisses off Peru like Peru can't because the CSFA is just kind of standing up to it. Peru can't do anything about it. So they're not, Peru's not a big fan of it. Bolivia's not a big fan of it because they're operating in Bolivian territories. And also they have uh, investor investors in the CSF, CSFA range from British interests to members of the Chilean government. So it really does kind of feel like foreign influence in Bolivian territory to them. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Companies revolt against the monopoly. CSFA basically continues as it was. Bolivia then tries a couple times to raise taxes on the CSFA despite promising not to do so. The first time, uh, they back off because Chile goes like, hey, (laughs) stop. Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, you said like a minute ago.
0: (laughs) My guy, what are you doing?
1: Like it literally, it's like literally a year had passed before they tried to tax something higher they back off that time gets to 1878 and they raise the taxes again and this time they don't seem to care about the treaty they're really planning on just bullying Chile into doing whatever
0: because at that point diplomacy is just kind of off the table
1: yeah Bolivia's pretty confident it's got it's big brother Peru like backing it up they don't think Chile is going to mess the CSFA is like, this is bullshit, and refuses to pay the tax, and when it does this, Bolivia confiscates its property and threatens to sell it off in the February of 1879. At this point, Chile goes like, hey, what the fuck?
0: Seriously?
1: And it sends its military to occupy Antofagasta, like the entire port city.
0: Alright, this is turning into a nightmare.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> peru immediately goes uh hey guys (laughs) let's calm down they send this whole like mediation delegation They, they they go to mediate the whole dispute they push a solution that involves a tripartite administration in antofagasta uh they try to get chile to agree to that despite not guaranteeing them any concessions from bolivia There really just was
0: no intention to, like, give Chile anything or let them have anything in this, was there?
1: Yeah, and at this point, it should be pretty clear that Peru may be pushing for, like, a tripartite solution, but it's still on Bolivia's side here. But they don't want a war. Right. Bolivia declares war in March. Oh, boy. (laughs) To be clear, this is a month after they confiscate a company's property. That's what sparks all this. Bolivia's like, fuck this, you can't take control of our port city. Fuck you, we're going to war.
0: Did they ever end up actually selling the
1: territory? Or I don't think so. I think, I don't think they ever actually, I don't think they ever got actually got their hands on it because Chileans had already occupied the city. Right.
0: And who would they sell it to? Peru? <laughs> like, there's only <laughs> one buyer
1: there. Maybe Brazil's interested, you don't know. Oh, okay, that's fair. So here's the thing. None of these countries are ready for war. Sure. Not one of the three nations has the army or the navy in place for any kind of a sustained war effort.
0: Does Bolivia even have, like, a side that's facing water?
1: Yes, at this point they do. Oh. The part of the Atacama Desert that they have is their one link to coastal lands. Ah. That's part of why they're so twitchy about it. They want to keep that because otherwise they lose their access to the coast. Okay, that's, that's big. All right. However, despite having this, they don't have a navy. Okay. They just don't have one. And when they declare war, Bolivia's president tries to do what European powers did, like, a hundred years before this. He tries to put out letters of mark for any ship captains that decide to attack Chile. <laughs> Like, they essentially tried to, like, re-legalize privateering, which is, like, a bold move. I
0: mean, who among us would not approach a a high-seas problem by throwing pirates at it? Who among us, Eric, would not want to engage in scalawaggery?
1: (laughs) I know, I certainly wouldn't stop there. I already declared war on them. I might as well be like, hey, anyone else want to get in on
0: this? What is it with this show and people throwing pirates at the solution (laughs)
1: to things? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Because I should say that at this time, like I said, Bolivia and Peru vastly outnumber Chile. Everyone in the international press thinks that Chile is destined to lose this and they're going to have to back off. They're outnumbered. But they basically go like, yeah, okay, let's do this. Fuck off, man. <laughs> and there are, a bunch of different historians have like different reasons for why Chile seemed so into starting this war. Because they didn't have to. They could have just backed off. And different historians have different reasons. Like, there are some that say, like, the mining companies pressured the government into going to war for them. There were some that was, like, uh, the popular sentiment said that they had to. There are a bunch of different reasons. But they do. They are down. They are ready.
0: They uh, they are not ready,
1: Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well, they think they're ready, I guess I should say.
0: <laughs> I, th- I think the resounding message you're trying to put here is that nobody's ready. <laughs>
1: yeah, that was, yeah. So because Bolivia declares war and they've got the secret alliance with Peru, Peru is now at war with Chile. <laughs> oh, boy. And the thing is, Almost every part of the contested territory in this war is coastal. So the most important aspect of the war is the naval campaign. And Bolivia doesn't have a navy.
0: So it's only Peru and Chile who have a yes. stake in the flight.
1: Yeah, Bolivia declares a war on Chile. And then Peru and Chile fight a war is basically what happens. Bolivia is barely even an active participant.
0: I know this is an audio medium, but my hands could not... My face could not be more in my hands right now.
1: (laughs) It's just... It's like... It's just... There's got to have been a moment on the Peruvian side where they kind of went like, Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They actually got kind of
0: good out of this because I bet they didn't lose that much because they're not fighting. (laughs) <laughs> come on <laughs> uh, that, that's not even a proxy war that's like getting your big brother to like fight a guy at school
1: yeah it's like literally like ooh my big brother's gonna take care of you get him bro my dad
0: can beat up your actually my dad can beat up you come on here dad
1: yeah. <laughs> oh for fuck's sake it's just incredible before I'm going to give you a bit of a cliffhanger here before we go to an ad. All right. Before the war starts, pretty much everyone is pretty sure that uh, Peru's going to win with Bolivia's help. Because Chile's fleet is in basically various stages of disrepair at the time. Like, just various stages of neglect is how you could describe their navy. And Peru has, like, very shiny ships. They just got this ironclad from England called the Huascar. They're, it costs something like 81,000 pounds to buy it from them. It's like this top-of-the-line ironclad. It's got 300-pound cannons, which is just gigantic.
0: That is huge. I don't know the efficacy of naming your boat after the Incan emperor that gave up
1: the empire. <laughs> ah, semantics. Ah, semantics. <laughs> and fun fact about the Huascar... Uh, He, the, uh, the, the Huascar has just recently in Peru been used in a civil war in Peru. The, it was actually captured by the rebels for a month before the rebels gave up.
0: It really is their monitor.
1: Yeah, it, it, that is how they describe it. Wow. So they, they basically start and they plan their two capital ships are the Huascar and the Independencia. Uh, they both, you know, move South to start this conflict at this point, people are thinking like Chile can't stand a chance here, right? Like they have a fleet, and maybe they outnumber the the Peruvians, but in terms of their naval power, but their ships are just not as good. Yeah. But what they didn't count on the fo- the uh, the foreign press and and pretty much everyone else is the naval officers of Peru were not that experienced with their own ships. Meanwhile, the Chilean officers had not o- were not only better trained than Peruvian officers, but they also had more experience because for the last uh, little while they'd been busy killing the Mapuche Indians in the south of Chile.
0: Oh, Jesus! Huh?
1: Yeah, because they were cause I told you there were multiple border disputes going on. One of those was with the uh, uh, the Araucanian Indians in the south, also the the Mapuche people who were killed by the thousands in this time period.
0: South American history, revolution, constitutions, genocide.
1: (laughs) Yeah, love to give people just like solid sides to root for on my podcast. Ah, the plucky underdog gonna take the fight to two nations at once. Also, they are committing genocide. Uh. Everyone on my podcast is a milkshake duck. (laughs) Uh. And with that, we go to an ad... For another show on the Major Cast Network. God.
0: <laughs> do you find yourself unable to watch television? Who has the time? Well, luckily, we do. I'm Liam Sr., I'm Josh Phillips. We host a podcast where we watch old cancel TV for, for you. you. Musty TV every Thursday on the Major Cast Network. My father says we're crazy. My mother won't talk to me anymore.
1: I left you on a bit of a cliffhanger Mm -hmm. because it turns out Chile has got a better officer corps than people think that it does. And it turns out they do have kind of a larger fleet than Peru does, or at least they have a larger fleet that they're willing to mobilize. They kind of stretch their armies pretty thin here, but once their, their war machine starts kind of revving up, it starts to become clear that it's really just Chile against Chile against Peru and Bolivia is not helping them and Peru is going to have a tough time standing up to it. Sure. But for the first like four or five months of the naval campaign, Peru is able to hold off Chile's fleet with basically just one ironclad, the, the Huascar. Wow. Like for the first, for the first, like very first part of the conflict, uh, the Huascar is like a huge beacon of hope for the Peruvians. Uh, they're in, it's a thorn in the side of the Chilean Navy. And it achieves some noteworthy victories in this time. But oddly, one of these ends up inspiring the Chileans more than the Peruvians. We call it the Battle of Iquique. Uh-huh. Uh, in which uh, there was a, there was a blockaded port. Huascar goes to free the port and there are two Chilean ships there. It destroys the Chilean ship. And this battle where the Huascar just destroys an, an antiquated Chilean warship is now memorialized as a national holiday in Chile. Not in Peru, in Chile. And for what reason? It's thanks to the heroic sacrifice of a man named Arturo Pratt. Tell me about Mr. Pratt. He was the commanding officer of one of the Chilean ships at the time. He was found dead on the deck of the Huascar, not his own ship. And so it's thought that he tried to lead a last-ditch charge and and to board the Huascar, and so Chileans took this as a heroic last stand, you know, and that was enough. His thing, that, like, that one sacrifice inspires thousands of Chilean recruits. And a whole friggin' holiday. And not only that, what would you, like, take a guess as to, like, the title of the holiday in Chile.
0: Uh... Patriots Day, Remembrance Day, something along those lines.
1: It tends to get translated as just like Navy Day in Chile, but its actual title in Chile as is, is El Día de las Glorias Navales, which means Day of the of the Naval Glories and they lost. Oh yeah. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> All right. They super lost. There's one point, there were like there were a couple different phases to the to the fight. And at one point, Arturo Pratt's ship is shooting, like, their 40-pound guns, and they're just, like, pinging uselessly off the Wasker's armor. And the Wasker, uh, comes in and hits it with one shot, and in one shot kills something like 50 men on Pratt's boat. (laughs) God... Like that, that is, the, this is the battle that became the day of the naval glories. That, that's, um,
0: that kind of reminds me a little bit of the USSR during World War II, where like, bar none, every one of their war heroes, like, died of like, their feet getting cold on the front.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a thing in this time period. Like the guys who die are way are much bigger deals to to everyone than like the guys who are winning the fights. Like, Peru has its own thing similar, but I'll talk about him later. Uh, and this this fight was fairly significant because it was the Huascar and La Independencia from Peru that came to attack the two ships, um, in in Iquique. And the ship under Pratt's command stayed to fight off the Huascar. The other one kinda of ran off and La Independencia went off to pursue it, and somehow that Chilean ship was able to sink the Independencia oh. during that pursuit, yeah, which is a big deal. And that, that is part of why the 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 celebration happens, is because this somehow led to that.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes a lot more sense.
1: Mm.
0: But also, why would Peru like not just stick with the rear guard and let them retreat. Like, I don't know.
1: So, like I said, once the Chilean war machine starts revving up, Peru starts to lose ground. I guess, see. <laughs> the Independencia is sunk, and then, like, five or six months into the war, the Wascot is captured by the Chileans and it becomes a Chilean ship, which is something of a blow to the Peruvian Navy. Yeah. And with those two capital ships gone peru can no longer mount a naval campaign effectively and once the naval campaign is decided the rest of the war is effectively decided as well yeah so it's it's done basically chile can basically just ferry troops to wherever along the coast they want hit whatever targets they want reinforce much faster than peru can and they start taking over the southern parts of Peru. They've already occupied most of the parts of Bolivia that were necessary for the for, to take over the Atacama. And yet Peru and Bolivia don't surrender. Oh? Yeah. Repeatedly. They get all these opportunities to surrender for years. And they don't. Eric, how long did this war go? So it starts in early 1879... By mid eighteen eighty, Bolivia is effectively not even in the war anymore. But they don't surrender. Like they, they don't have a military to carry out a war. And yet Bolivia continues to vote to continue it. Why? I've I don't know. There's no there's no logical reason.
0: Nationalism's some shit, isn't
1: it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kind of is. I mean... <laughs> they pretty much just didn't want to lose. Uh, they'd lost. They had already lost. Yeah, but if they surrender, that means they lost. I guess
0: in, like, legal terms, but, like... Jesus. Did, did they even bother, like, spending money to increase their military, or they just... Oh, they
1: went bankrupt. Oh, okay. Bolivia did, in this war effort. They
0: just wanted to say they were at war because it would have hurt their pride too much.
1: Seems like it. Okay. Fuck me. Bolivia, Bolivia goes bankrupt. They lose land to Chilean occupation. And Chile is under pressure from its citizens to end the war and return to peacetime. Yeah. Like Chile is like Chilean citizens are like, Hey, we are winning this. Why haven't you like actually won it? Right. And so the Chilean government is like, we got to finish this. And they try to force a surrender and just kind of no dice and hundreds and thousands of, of soldiers continue to die. And so Chile reluctantly draws up plans to take over the Peruvian capital of Lima. Okay. <laughs> All, I mean, again, Bolivia is the one continuing to vote to go to war. Oh, Peru. Peru does as well. Peru is also voting to go to war. They are choosing this now like they're also going like we can't give in and here's the fucked up part Peru co- goes on they've basically lost the war as soon as they lost the naval campaign they effectively lost the war over the course of this war which lasts for 5 years technically over the course of these 5 of of the 4 years that Peru is technically involved in it right they go through four different heads of state jeez and three of those all vote to continue the war that's um. That's some Mexico levels <laughs> of. It's not until their fourth leader in the course of these four years that they finally go like, "Hey, you know what? Uh, he's the one who comes into the war having already lost the the Peruvian capital of Lima." Oh,
0: so so Chile won.
1: Chile captured the Peruvian capital. Wow. There's a two stage battle of. Of Lima. There's like it's a whole campaign. Peru essentially has their version of Pickett's charge, led by a guy named Juan Fanning. He tried to do like a flanking maneuver at one point. He had five hundred men with him. More than four hundred of them died in the effort. He is remembered as a national hero. There you go. Mm-hmm. So they go through all these heads of state. They lose their capital. They still resist after their capital is taken. Like, the war continues after being driven out of their capital. And then finally, they agree to a peace treaty in 1883.
0: Good lord.
1: Bolivia doesn't agree to a a peace treaty until 1884.
0: So, in that year, what did Bolivia do?
1: I don't think anything... (laughs) like i tried to find out and it just seems like cuz they were they were basically gone from the war like 3 years before peru conceded
0: pride is a hell of a drug
1: i guess i just it,
0: like did they forget about the war maybe if you're not actively fighting a war i guess it would be easy to forget that you're in one
1: it's so weird so, the results of the war are Chile retains sole possession of the Atacama, claiming both Peru and Bolivia's territories in it. Yeah. And because of this, Bolivia becomes the landlocked nation we know today. Hooray. Peru loses the Tarapacá regions, the Tacna region. Bolivia loses Antofagasta. Uh, Arica also goes to Chile. They they gain all this land for it, although they, they give back Tacna to Peru in the 1920s. Oh. Yeah, because they wanted to be part of Peru, basically.
0: (laughs) Huh.
1: Antofagasta didn't mind being part of Chile. Tarapacá didn't really mind being part of Chile because it was the desert and, like, no one's there. Sodium nitrate. European scientists learned how to synthesize sodium nitrate in the 1920s, I think, or 1940s. One of those. And eventually, every single mining operation in the Atacama is abandoned. Oh. Because it's not... Worthwhile anymore, because people can just make it
0: gazelles and like a couple snakes.
1: There's like over a hundred like ghost mining operations out there now. Jesus. So they're all seated. They return the thing, and that's how the war ends. Also, also, I will say, Argentina randomly gets a little extra land during this somehow. <laughs> Not really sure how that happens. They didn't do anything. Yeah, well, they they get some anyway.
0: And it all turned out great. It was all (laughs) worth it.
1: Oh, here, I should read the final casualties. Give me just a second. All right. More than 3,000 Chilean soldiers are killed. More than 5,000 are wounded. Bolivia, less than 1,000 are killed. And just over 1,000 are wounded.
0: Peru... It was all from paper cuts while filing paperwork and not fighting a war. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Peru, meanwhile, suffers more than 24,000 total casualties, almost 10,000 of which are deaths. Jesus.
0: Good lord. It's
1: ridiculous.
0: Cities in the United States of America today in 2018 with a population that big.
1: Yep. yep. Jesus. All because Bolivia really wanted to tax one corporation. Bolivia wanted to tax one corporation. Does that corporation
0: still exist by any chance?
1: I don't think so because they were a, they were a, they were a mining company for sodium nitrate. probably went out of business. Yeah at the end of the the turn of the century 19th to 20th century, the Chilean economic stuff was looking pretty good. They also had a big shipping industry like uh, Valparaíso, Chile was known as like the jewel of the Pacific at the time. But then the Panama Canal was created, and then their mining operations went bust, and so Chile has been kind of slowly deflating ever since then.
0: But but nothing bad ever happened again in Chile.
1: Yep, nothing at all. No dictatorships
0: pertaining to the military or their leadership.
1: Yep, there were no takeovers or anything like that. Nah, nah. <laughs> the fact that the fact that all this happens, like. Thousands of people die, plenty of them from not even fighting, just from, like, disease. Bolivia loses its one stretch of coastal territory. Peru loses territory and loses the most men. Like, all just because Bolivia would not give up on bullying Chile into giving it more money. At any point, they could have stopped.
0: I mean, people... It's a common turn of phrase, I guess, that like wars have been started for stupider reasons. This is about the stupidest reason I can imagine killing.
1: I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to top the one that I did in my first episode, the pastry war. Okay, yeah, that's the... A war started because a pastry shop was supposedly destroyed in Mexico.
0: That's pretty stupid.
1: That's, I, I don't think that can ever be beaten. I just like, that's kind of, it's too good. But this is close. That's fair. But also, that was a much smaller scale war than this. True.
0: Well, you know what, Eric? I am depressed now. I am <laughs> I am history depressed.
1: <laughs> the best kind of depressed. Well, Ben, if you're history depressed, I might have just a thing for you. It's called the Pickle for the Knowing Ones. Uh, since I've just told you a big story from history about massive incompetence, that tends to depress people. I'm going to tell you a short Story from history about absurd competence. So you've got a choice All right. this week. Because this is part of my series on beauty products. Ooh. The first one we did with Lily was uh, last was last time. She uh, chose... What did she choose? Dimple
0: machine, if I remember. She
1: chose the dimple machine, and I gave her a bonus of a giant hair dryer. So this week, you get to choose between two. All right. You get either the chin reducer... Or the Beauty Micrometer? There's something
0: especially disturbing about the Beauty Micrometer, so I'm going to do that. Oh yeah,
1: Yeah, no, it is definitely the more disturbing of the two.
0: (laughs) Big fan. (laughs) I should probably add, before you get started, I looked up what Pickle for the Knowing Ones is a reference to and read the Uh opening paragraph of it and my brain felt bad.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a real work of passion. Yeah. Without much punctuation
0: <laughs> or sense or anything, but you know what? Yeah, the, he believed it, and I'm happy for him.
1: The best part of it is that like there were some critics who were like, "None of this is punctuated. You should add punctuation, and then it'll actually be like legible." And apparently, at the end of the book in a second printing, he just added a page full of punctuation marks. <laughs> owned, owned. Yeah. It's just, just, it's just such a flex. Jesus
0: Christ, that's some like, good lord. Yeah,
1: it's it's that's it's very good. So, the beauty micrometer was invented by a man named Maximilian Factorowitz. Wow. He was a co- a cosmetics seller and inventor. Uh, he was he's you may have heard of Max Factor. Yeah, sure. That's him. Wow.
0: Okay so Maximilian, Maximilian Factorowitz Mac- makes a lot of sense I'd almost said so. Max a lot of sense but
1: uh. yeah so he n- nowadays he's more known for you know lipstick and eyeliners but he's also famous and I'm reading this from the Atlantic which has a fun little article about this stu- kind of stuff is also famous for developing the beauty micrometer in 1932 an instrument designed to detect a woman's facial flaws so they can be corrected with makeup
0: so when you say device.
1: I'm going to have you Google beauty micrometer real quick for me, Ben. All right. Beauty micrometer. I can spell. Just trying to be helpful. Uh. Uh. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That First off, that was rude of me to say I could spell. Second off, this, this is a saw trap. This is literally... A trap from the movie Saw that I'm looking at.
1: Yeah, uh, from The Atlantic, the ad describes it as looking like a baseball mask, but that's only because Hellraiser hadn't been filmed yet. I
0: mean, I get what they're going for, in that there are, in fact, a bunch of metal bars caging a head with pins going into it. Yeah, it's the Hellraiser guy. it's, it's, It's a Cenobite. It's horrifying. Yeah. The, the ad yeah. is particularly bad because the woman's, like, it looks like she's trying really hard to smile, but she's also like, get me the fuck out of this thing. I want to be out of this thing.
1: I'm not entirely sure how it actually works. Like, I, I don't really get how the pins are supposed to measure facial flaws, especially because they're not even, like, the pins aren't even over her face. They seem to be more on, like, the back of the head. So... If I'm getting this correctly, it looks like they're
0: kind of like clasps that you screw on so you get the exact shape of the skull. Yeah. If I were, like, just making an educated guess, you would probably read, like, that shape based on the gauge of it. Like, oh, this is a good place for it to be. This is a bad place for it to be. Because it was the, what was this, the 1890s, the 1920s?
1: 1930.
0: Oh, so phrenology was still a thing, so like...
1: Yeah, I don't think it's like a phrenology thing. I assume it has to do... Because it has to do with makeup. I I mean, I guess it's... I just don't get how it works. The thing that's blowing my mind is what looks
0: like tuning forks that are going directly into the eye sockets.
1: Yeah, that's the scary part.
0: It's like, it looks like they're, they're gouging the lady's eyes out.
1: Oh, no, phrenology was involved. Never mind. Okay. Phrenology was part of it. It was uh, pseudoscientific analysis involving phrenology and cosmetics.
0: Gotta love the, the, that 40 year period where phrenology was just like, we figured it out, guys. It's, it's people's skull shape. That's, that's like, how it works. That's the be all end all. <laughs> Got a big forehead? That's well, how it goes. that means you're related to Napoleon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> fuck so that's the beauty micrometer and as a special bonus ben i'm gonna throw in another one we're gonna talk about the thermo cap oh yeah so the thermo cap was actually a beauty product designed for men oh the thermo cap was was designed to reverse baldness it doesn't really say how but it's a cap you put on your head to promote hair growth and slow hair loss I guess it did that with heat. So wish that this were
0: an audio visual medium so that people (laughs) could see what I'm seeing. This is literally the light bulb that you put on top of a lizard's cage with a piece of leather around it. And you put the leather on your head
1: and then you turn the light on. (laughs) It's a thermal lamp essentially that you attach to your scalp. Oh my God, this is brilliant. And that's how you cure baldness, kids. (laughs) With light and heat. I just love that people are, like, trying to do this. Like, surely this will work.
0: (laughs) You know, experimentation, you gotta try everything. But the fact that this got beyond just the design phase where it's like, nah, this seems kind of fucking stupid. And they actually managed to patent it. Kind Ah. of
1: nuts. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Man. I just, it's really, yeah, and just wait till you hear about the chin reducer next time. Oh boy, I can't wait. The chin reducer is something. Guess what it does?
0: Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Does it reduce your chin? It's supposed to. Okay, that doesn't give me much hope. (laughs) Yeah, well. Yeah, well.
1: (laughs) When have anything on my podcast ever done that? Usually during the pickle. After this, I promise I'll get back to, like, actual competence. I just
0: love these so much. These are great. My favorite was when um, Victorian people would just hire hermits for their garden.
1: Yeah, it was a good one. I always wanted to meet a hermit. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's it's real commitment, you know? Like, they're really
0: going for it. The bit of, like, you are a feudal lord (laughs) and presumably a wizard.
1: Oh, yeah, would you like to meet my, my man outside? His name is Merlin. He's great. I love him. <laughs> very well read. Uh, I... This has been Big Time Whoopsies. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, ben, do you want me to plug anything that you do online? Um, I
0: don't do much online except for post a lot on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at at Vonnegutterball. That's uh, Kurt Vonnegut's last name combined with gutterball cuz that's what passed for cleverness in my senior year of high school and I've just never changed it cuz that was the peak of my cleverness.
1: I think it's a fine Twitter handle, Ben.
0: Otherwise, yeah, I'm just a big fan of the show and it's been an honor to be on Eric.
1: Follow Ben at gutterball on Twitter. Uh you can follow me at adaciously yours. My name is Eric McGadden. You can also find my Personal website, nocharactersafe.com, plus other major cast network shows that I do, like Sunday Morning Hangover Cure, which is a weekly news roundup I do with Liam Sr. every week on Sunday, as you might have guessed. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, Ben.
0: Take care, everybody. And thank you, Eric. I'm about to go start a war with a country and then just have somebody else
1: fight it. Well, good luck. All right, I'll try. Make sure you don't become landlocked in the process.
0: Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun.
1: Stay nasty and stay major